and welcome to Ending Physician Overwhelm. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a family and obesity medicine physician, as well as a certified life coach for physicians. In this podcast, we talk about how the learned habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and a lack of boundaries show up in our lives and how they contribute to burnout, exhaustion, and overwhelm. The healthcare system is broken, my friends, but let's not wait for it to be fixed in order to feel better. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's episode. So today we're going to be talking about people who fall into the category of empaths. And I don't say necessarily that people identify themselves as empaths, um, but we're going to talk a little bit about what that means and specifically talk about it in relationship to, um, you know, our careers in medicine or you could certainly translate this into parenting or other professional or personal caregiving roles. All right. So for me, I first encountered this label in uh, the sci-fi adventure realm in the character of Mantis, who um, is in a uh, character in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Now, if you are a hardcore uh, Marvel fan uh, and you want to go into a deep dive on Mantis, that's fine. But for me, I first encountered her in the movie. And she is an alien who is, uh, is an empath, and she is able to feel and interpret the emotions of others. And she, she does this by, if she just touches her hand to them, um, she can very easily sort of feel their feelings and, and almost sort of uh, is able to sort of, uh, identify their thoughts as well. And, um, she's adorable. And of course this, uh, uh, causes many problems and interesting situations, but, um, you know, I was surprised a few years later when my therapist identified me as an empath. I hadn't, I hadn't encountered that label in the real world. Um, although since, uh, since that time, I've been able to see that, it is uh, a more common phrase used in sort of the mental health world to describe someone who is very easily able to identify with the emotions of others. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are very well tuned to their own emotional state. What it means is they can sort of sense the distress of others often and really lean into connecting and helping that person with their emotions and sometimes even taking on the other person's emotions. Um, it sounds great. And it's a skill that has served me well for many years. So, you know, as a physician, I've been praised for my ability to sort of get in there with patients and, and really sort of dig into the emotional side of health issues and stressors. Um, and often we're able to really sort of get to the heart of what might be preventing people from being able to make a change in their health, um, you know, whether it's losing weight or, you know, sticking with a, a medication plan or, um, you know, following through with uh, attending therapy, things like that, um, often keeps them from moving forward. So it's helpful when we're able to sort of get in and really connect on that emotional level. It also helps me, of course, as a parent, right? When my kids are having big feelings, I'm able to sit with them and I'm able to 
you know, be more compassionate towards them. I end up also being someone that people tend to confide in because they know that they can safely express their feelings with me, that I'm willing to go there, if you will. But as with anything, there's a catch, right? There's a downside. And it's it's something that I actually see this, this trait of being an empath is something um, that I share in common with many of the women who end up coming to me for coaching. It's exhausting when you are someone who can take on the emotions of others. So those of us who are able to connect with the emotions of others easily, we also tend to really not just connect with people over their emotions, but really to take on the emotions as though it's our own. And sometimes we even take it a step further and we take responsibility for the emotions of others. So for example, if my patient comes in and they're very upset about the weight or you know, how the person at the front desk uh, was acting when they checked them in, some, something that had nothing to do with me, um, I might then translate their upsetness as something that is my responsibility and my job to fix, even though I wasn't involved in the situation. And if we couple this tendency to feel responsible for the feelings of others with um, you know, having been raised to believe that we can't or we shouldn't have boundaries, or you know, if we've gone through times, you know, for example, during medical training where boundary setting was often not okay, we can see how this has created a huge cohort of physicians who are absolutely exhausted from carrying the emotional load of the world around them, you know, even before the pandemic hit, but certainly during and after. Um, and you know, people are really suffering tremendously for it. So it's important to again note that being an empath, whether you have previously thought of yourself as this uh, or not, it has many gifts, it has strengths. If you're an empath, you are likely a great listener. You can quickly take the emotional temperature of a room and get to the heart of things if there's a conflict. And it's also important to note that not all physicians and health professionals are empaths. You can have skills of empathy without you know, having this trait that tends to uh, lead you to really strongly identifying with the feelings of others. So it's important that we recognize that this can, can and has helped us, but I'd also like to talk about things that we can do to lighten the load, because if you're someone who tends to carry the emotional weight of uh, your patients, let alone other people in your life, I'd really like you to tune in here so that we can really talk about lightening the emotional load without needing to become hard-hearted, uncaring people, without needing to stop connecting with patients and not to, you know, need to quit out of utter exhaustion and frustration, right? There is a different way. So let's talk about how to move forward and build in some supports that really help you to be able to show up for others without completely draining yourself. Okay, so the place that we really need to start the conversation is talking about boundaries. 
Um, if you have been listening to the show, if you have ever checked out my blog or any of my uh, my webinars, you'll know that I talk about boundaries a lot. Um, and I talk about boundaries a lot because it's something that has been a major struggle for me and that I've done a lot of work on. Um, I've had to do this in my personal life and certainly in my professional life. And like everybody else, I'm a work in progress on it. But when I talk about boundaries, it often tends to resonate in particular with other women physicians who I would also identify as being empaths, even though they may not identify themselves as such. And when I'm talking about boundaries, I really rely heavily on the work of Brene Brown, who is a PhD, um, she describes herself as a storyteller researcher and does uh, tremendous work really on human affects and traits, including um, boundaries, uh, vulnerability, shame, um, courage, compassion, um, all sorts of really, uh, really weighty subjects. And in her book right, called Rising Strong, she really talks about the relationship between boundaries, integrity, and generosity. And so she says that in order to stay in our integrity and to make the most generous assumptions of others requires boundaries and accountability. In her research, she and her team have discovered that people with the highest levels of compassion become skilled at boundaries in order to continue to be able to practice compassion. And you know, for many of us who really wrestle with boundaries, we may have been laboring under the assumption for many years that boundaries are something that's for other people, that boundaries really interfere with our connection to others, you know, that somehow boundaries are not okay for quote unquote people like us. Um, and so if you are listening and you're getting a little upset, you know, even, even sort of thinking about boundaries, I don't blame you. And I, I hope that you'll continue to listen because I think this really is important for you to hear. Um, what I wanna ask you, what I want you to ask yourself is whether or not your lack of boundaries is working well for you. Is you being open and available to serve the needs of all the other humans, including your patients, your staff, your family, your kids, is that filling the cup or is it emptying your cup? Is it leaving you drained? Because yes, it is often true that people who quote unquote, love us for a lack of boundaries, they love us for being easy to get stuff from. And they, that's not necessarily them being manipulative, awful people trying to take advantage of us. But that doesn't mean that it's a justification for your lack of boundaries. And yes, they may be upset or disappointed if you choose to say no to them. But what do you choose for yourself? Do you choose to continue to suffer and to feel resentment and overwhelm and frustration? Or will you instead choose to start putting your own needs on the list and start to practice saying no or not right now? And you know similar sorts of ways of setting limits on what you are willing and able to do for them. So we could talk for hours about boundaries, but I want you to consider how, how this, this 
idea of boundaries and integrity and generosity and compassion, you know, really ends up playing out in your life and whether or not you need to make a change. And next, the second thing I want us to consider is still somewhat on the theme of boundaries, but it really has to do more with sort of your boundaries for yourself. Knowing that you have a deep connection to the feelings of others, which can be quite intense, how do you give yourself downtime? Do you end up taking breaks during your day, maybe going for a quick walk by yourself or maybe sitting in your your car and enjoying some quiet time? Do you ever get away on day trips or weekends by yourself where you can just rest and, and really sort of take care of yourself? Empaths often don't have others who care for them. Empaths often find themselves in relationships where they are caring for others, you know, whether again, that's children or a partner or um, just other people in their lives. And yet empaths still have the same physical and emotional needs for love, rest, relaxation, and play as any other human. So you know, in this, in this struggle where we are constantly giving to other people and not taking these moments to really care for ourselves, it then becomes really easy for us to, you know, sort of numb away the frustration or the overwhelm by things that we don't really want to be doing, such as overeating, over drinking, um, you know, spending hours on our phones, things like that because we are trying to do something to kind of soothe ourselves. And, you know, we may not have, you know, really intentional practices that are taking care of that for us. So when we start to be intentional about sort of our own care and feeding, how we tend to ourselves emotionally and physically, then we can often decrease or stop those behaviors to numb out those feelings. So you can see it makes a big difference on sort of your health and well-being and also on your, um, you know, your perception of yourself when you are leaning into self-care, making intentional rituals, you know, things that you do on the regular. Some, some of those will be every day, some will be every week, every month, every year, things that are really designed to give you the quiet and the peace and the recharging that you need you know, it really becomes necessary for, for your personal maintenance. And these things really help you to be able to show up for others in the way that you want to, but with a new pathway of really making sure that you're addressing your own needs. The third thing that I want us to consider is, you know, developing skills around understanding where your feelings are coming from. And you know, we'll extend this into being able to be more mindful about the feelings of others in a different way. So I've talked before about the relationship between our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. And I'll take a moment here to share this idea again, along with a common situation that comes up in my house. So actions are what we do in response to our emotions. So if I'm feeling something that is going to drive the things that I do or don't do and kind of the thought loops that are in my head, right? And the emotions actually come from my thoughts about something that has happened. So we often feel that our 
feelings come from, you know, perhaps other people, perhaps our job, um, you know, situations, but really it comes from our thoughts about it. So um, just to give an example, so we may feel that we wouldn't yell if our kids didn't frustrate us so much, right? It's their fault that we are feeling frustrated, but it isn't actually the kids that are causing the frustration. It's really our thoughts about the things that they're doing or not doing um, or saying that are causing our feelings. Um, and the example that, uh, that I thought of for, for really illustrating this point is when my kids are you know, getting ready for bed, but they have picked up their books and they are deep in their books and they are not brushing their teeth. And I, you know, will ask them, okay, you know, hey, will you put your book down? It's time to start brushing teeth. And then, of course, like many parents, my tone gets, uh, uh, you know, more in the yelling vein than I would like it to be, right? I can become very frustrated by that situation. And before I know it, I'm yelling, even though I don't want to be yelling at my kids, right? And I'm not yelling at my kids because my kids are awful people. I'm yelling because I'm having the thought that they should immediately respond to my request that they brush their teeth. But if I can back myself up and get a little curious about it, why would they want to put their books down, their books that they're enjoying, in order to do something not fun like brushing their teeth? I don't get excited about brushing my teeth. And yes, sometimes I got to put my book down to go do it, right? Why should I think that they're going to be excited about doing that for themselves, right? They have to learn. So why am I bringing this up as something for empaths to understand? I think it's important that we can understand the relationship between our thoughts and feelings and actions so that we cannot over-identify with our emotions, especially in situations like this. And, you know, when I think about it, um, I can very easily stay stuck in the frustration because they're not brushing their teeth. And pretty soon I'm having thoughts of they never listen to me. They don't respect me and so on and so on. And before too long, I'm really emotionally wrapped up in the whole cascade of difficult emotions. And it's really hard to get out of that. And I, you know, not everybody gets so tied up in their emotions like that, but if you're an empath, more likely than not, it's very easy for you to be in that state. When I'm able to practice being curious about my feelings, when I'm able to ask myself, what am I feeling? Uh, you know, name the emotion, frustration in this example, and then be curious as to why I'm feeling that way. I can turn down the dial on the intensity of the emotion and I stop over-identifying with it. I don't go into the rabbit hole of thinking that they never listen to me and that they don't respect my words. I can dial it back and I can say, okay, I'm feeling frustrated because I have the thought that they should just go along with what I'm saying, stop doing something that they're enjoying to do and do something that's unfun. Okay. Do I really want to get in a big spin out of frustration about that? No, I don't. Is that helpful? No. Does it help me to get their teeth brushed? No, it doesn't. Is it a fun way to spend the evening? Is it relaxing as part of the bedtime ritual? Not at all. So 
I think, I hope that I've illustrated that, you know, when empaths like us start doing this work with ourselves and with other people as well, we're also able to see that someone else's outbursts, um, you know, we can see that as a demonstration of their own emotions. And we can use that same skill of curiosity to, you know, sometimes explore it with them if that's safe and appropriate, you know, for example, with your kids, you know, hey, what's going on? It looks like you're mad. Why are you feeling mad? Right. And, and be able to sort of work with their emotions that way. Or sometimes it simply helps us to be more compassionate for us. And we can still practice the boundaries that we talked about, but we can appreciate that they're having some thoughts that are leading to some really intense feelings. So as an empath, not only do I not have to be responsible for their feelings, um, because I'm not, you know, their thoughts are the things that create their feelings, but I also don't have to over-identify with their feelings and make it mean something about me. So there's benefit for myself in getting curious about my own emotions, but there's also additional skill that comes with doing this work that allows you to help others or to at least be able to not over-identify with your own feelings or the feelings of others. And yes, it's true, and it's important to mention that this does sometimes change relationships. And initially, those changes can feel really difficult for you and for them, especially if they are used to you taking the emotions on for them. But people who really care about you, like really, really care about you and your well-being, will ultimately want you to be taking good care of yourself. They will respect you more for it in the end. And they're probably going to get some growth out of it themselves, whether or not they're aware of it. My kids don't have to like that I'm reminding them to brush their teeth, but hopefully they're growing into people with the habit of brushing their teeth regularly. And maybe they're going to be happy about that one day. Now, whether or not they ever think about it, I don't know. I don't get to be responsible for that, but, you know, I am doing the work to help get them, uh, you know, brushing their teeth and, I'm also doing the work of choosing not to feel frustrated about it every single night. <laughs> so there are many, many examples in medicine and of course in parenting where we can get into difficulty when we are over identifying with the emotions of our patients. If you think for just a moment about some of your most challenging patients, people maybe who struggle with safe medication use, people who have difficult socioeconomic circumstances or who are really blunt and direct or unkind or even verbally abusive. When we are taking on the emotional responsibility for these patients on top of the emotional labor that comes with being with people in their illness states and, you know, and hearing about their challenges, it's a really oppressive load. But I hope that you can see that by taking the time to work on, you know, setting boundaries with others, on setting intentions and boundaries about your own self-care and getting more curious about our own emotions and the emotions of others, rather than just letting those emotions, you know, railroad us. I hope that you can see that there is a way to keep doing good work with others and for others 
in whatever capacity you choose, but also to not continue to take on unnecessary suffering yourself. You don't prove the greatness of the care that you provide by suffering more. Right. And really, really take that to heart. You don't need to suffer the hurts of others in order to provide them with great care, even if you are an empath. And so if you are an empath, or uh, we call it a big feeler uh, in my family, people with big feelings, um, and you know, you're doing the emotional label of, labor of others, I really hope that you will choose to take the time to do this work. Being able to be a great physician or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant or a nurse or a teacher or a parent just doesn't have to mean that you take on the suffering of others. You can be empathetic and compassionate and boundaried at the same time. You can protect your emotional energy and be able to be present with the feelings of others, but not having to drown under the weight of it all. All right, my friends. So that's what I have for you today. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please share it with a fellow empath. Um, you know, I think when we are able to connect with this part of ourselves and really support each other doing this work, we lift each other up and we support our own healing that really allows us to have a better life overall, whether that's in medicine or you know, in our personal lives or whatever realm uh, that this pops up for you. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for sharing the episode. I hope you have a wonderful week and until next time, bye for now. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you as always for listening. To learn more about my coaching programs, head to www.healthierforgood.com. And if you love this podcast, please drop us a review on iTunes or support the show by clicking the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.